Juliet, Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to episode 151 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we have an inspiring interview with Izzy Johnson about how she approached adopting a blind dog. People live perfectly good lives being blind and with disabilities. And dogs are far more clever than us. Their senses are more keenly developed. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to. Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio News and more. But before all that, we hear from Dawn Antoniak Mitchell about her latest book, From Bird-Brained to Brilliant, Training the Sporting Dog to be a Great Companion. What I like about that title is that Dawn has highlighted the most important aspect of the dog's life, because whatever else we do with our dogs, we want them to be great companions and live in the real world. Yes, and unfortunately for too many of these sporting dogs, uh, you know, their instincts are to be hunters, to go out and work with people, go out and do strenuous physical work to hunt birds, small game, and then we own them though now in very urban settings where that aspect of, of their instincts uh, is denied. Uh, they don't have the opportunity to do uh, what they were originally developed to do, and so it's really important that we do put the time and effort into these guys to help them uh, cope, to give them appropriate outlets for their instincts so that they can be mentally and physically happy and healthy, and then in turn to also be really good companions for us, to be family members that we want to have and enjoy having in our homes and our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've got one of these sporting dogs. I've got a Labrador um, that I love to bits. So although, well, you know, it, it's, I mean, he's always been, always been wonderful, but it is... Um, I read some of the things, you know, that you, you mentioned as problems or potential problems and kind of went, yes, 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 went through that. <laughs> yes, had that. <laughs> and I mean, he's, he's golden there. Um, but, it, you know, it took a while to get there. But when we say, you know, a, a sporting dog, what kind of breeds are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the breeds that come to mind to most people, golden retrievers, Labrador retrievers. Uh, but also we have our setters. English setters, Irish setters, Gordons. We have all of our spaniel family, uh, cocker spaniels, Sussex spaniels, field spaniels. Uh, we have the tollers. Uh, mm-hmm. We have the decoy dogs, the Nova Scotia duck tolling retrievers. So we have a wide range of dogs, um, but all of them were used to work in conjunction with a hunter to Uh, go out and get game. So when I talk about sporting dogs, I'm talking about the dogs that would help the hunter get game, the hunter being the one usually that would actually kill the game, um, as opposed to like the sight hounds, which could also be used for hunting, but the sight hounds usually were the ones that actually killed the game, Hmm. or coon hounds. Uh, Those dogs would usually uh, tree and oftentimes kill uh, the game for the hunter. So when, I, when I'm talking about uh, sporting dogs, I'm talking about the ones that we traditionally think of, um, and usually the hunter is using a gun. The hunter is the one that kills the game, but the dogs are used to help locate and then retrieve back the game once it's down. Yeah, yeah. And I guess for, you know, a lot of the, the breeds that we're talking about, um, some Labradors, 
the setter's pointers. You know, they are a large, athletic-looking dog. And you can guess that they had this active um, heritage and origin. But, you know, sometimes I think the ones that catch people out are your cocker spaniels because they just look like such a sweet little placid lap dog. And I guess yeah. they, they catch people out, don't they? Because they're not. <laughs> no, and I, I've had the privilege of having two Cocker Spaniels. Um, and no, they are every bit as athletic. Yes, they look so soft and yes. cuddly and they love their people. And, you know, they're more than happy to sit on the couch for a short period of time. But, you know, those guys, they need to be out. They need to be physically and mentally active as well um, mm. to really be healthy dogs. Um, and it it is. It's deceptive. You don't think of a Cocker Spaniel being able to go out and go through the fields, go through the thickets, um, you know, spring the mm. the game. You don't think of that when you look at the Spaniels. But they are every bit as tough and athletic a breed as your labs and your pointers and oh. and uh, your bigger dogs. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've um, highlighted four, four points for us to sort of have a look at um, mm-hmm. that are important points you, you try and get across in the book. So um, now the, the first one, definitely, I kind of went... Yes, that would be, that would, buddy would fit into that, um, which is sort of being friendly in a stereotypical retriever way. I mean, one of the things I love about Labradors is, well, and, and, and gun dogs, you know, uh, sporting dogs, but, you know, gun dogs in general, is they are so enthusiastic. You know when a Labrador's in the room because he loves you, you know, and he's, he's on your lap and he's wanting attention. You know, I... I like that in a dog. I, I, when greyhound owners often say to me, sort of, oh, you don't know, you've got him. And I'm sure that has an appeal, but I do like a dog with a bit of spirit. But sometimes it tips into too much spirit, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, um, unfortunately, a lot of sporting dogs uh, are a little bit over the top when it comes to enthusiasm and friendliness. Um, you know, these dogs were bred to work very closely with humans. They have to be willing to give up a potential meal. Uh, a dog carrying a bird um, that's been shot, well, there's, uh, there is some training, but there's also that instinctual um, inclination to relinquish that meal instead of eating it mm. um, to their human, to work closely with the human. They want that human attention. Um, and, and they also in general need to be able to get along with other dogs. You can't have two dogs out in the field and have one be dog aggressive and constantly wanting to fight the other dog. That's counterproductive to be, to being able to hunt with them. So they've been bred to be very go along, get along with other dogs. However, that's often, um, it's the it's the trait that makes these dogs very popular as pets because a lot of people do like that, but at the same time, it's a very dangerous, potentially dangerous um, trait for them because too often they can go over the top in their attitude. They're social nerds. They don't uh, understand that there are limits. And uh, you made a comment earlier about people assuming that sporting dogs come out of the box being these nice little uh, 
sweet, perfect family dogs and you don't need to put any work into them. So oftentimes what I see in my students is uh, the golden retrievers, the labs, you know, everyone assumes they're friendly and they don't need to be socialized as puppies. And so they're lacking in social experience. They've never been told no. They don't understand how to read other dogs' body language. Mm. Um, they don't understand jumping up on people is, is not the way to get attention. And so you combine that with these natural, outgoing, gregarious instincts, and you have these out-of-control dogs that can potentially hurt people by knocking them down, that type of thing. Yeah. Or get into uh, fights with other dogs because they're breaching social decorum. Yeah. They don't understand no means no. Uh, and then the other dog takes them to school and says, yes. no, I said no. <laughs> yeah. um, so it can be a, it, it's a common problem and it, it takes a lot of work to overcome that. But it's very important that even though these dogs are friendly, they're outgoing, they mean no harm. We know that that they're still taught that there are limits and boundaries and there are times when they have to control those instincts and basically act like an adult dog. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've had a, a very abrupt education in this because when we brought our border collie uh, into the house, he is a dog who sort of does not like other dogs to be in his face. You know, he, yes. <laughs> he, he kind of, you know, he, he's very sensible. He's very, you know, he, well, he, he can be goofy, but not, not in a Labrador way kind of thing. Yes. And, and, and so it gave me quite a lot of insight into it because from, from my point of view with my border collie, he will call, you know, he will, he's got a great recall. He will come back. But then if the other dog is a really over-friendly dog who comes over, who's, you know, technically not doing anything wrong, but just won't go back to the owner and wants to come and be friends with, with Rusty. You know, Rusty then will turn around and go, no, you don't jump on me, you don't do this, and he will tell off the other dog. Um, mm -hmm. But as you, as you point out, and I have been guilty of this as well with Buddy in the early days, because the dog won't do any damage, you know, in that way, he, he won't be the one who, who well... I guess that's arguable, but I was going to say he won't be the one that starts, you know, a conflict with another dog. But I guess his behaviour, you know, I've come to see is is the start of a conflict potentially. That, that as you say, bowling over to another dog, it's not great dog etiquette to us. We think, well, he's just having fun, he's just playing. But <laughs> the other breed, the dog, depending on his breed, may not interpret it like that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times. Uh, with my own Border Collie and my Jack Russell Terriers, uh, I've been walking them on leash. I, I live near a very large park, and I'm, a lot of folks take advantage of that as an off-leash area for their dogs. And um, I'll be walking along, and I'll hear from behind me, it's okay, he's friendly. Mm -hmm. And here I see this blur, uh, and oftentimes it is a sporting dog, just barreling toward my dogs. Now, yeah. I have three Jack Russell Terriers and a Border Collie mm. <laughs> on leashes. Um, yeah, they're going to be really, really upset when yeah. that dog uh, comes up. And no, it's not okay just mm. because your dog is friendly or you interpret it as friendliness um, because motion and that frenetic kind of senseless uh, activity that you see in a lot of dogs 
um, that is not necessarily an indication of friendliness or that the dog is happy. A lot of times those crazy motions, um, those are coming from a dog that's emotionally conflicted. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know exactly what to do. Again, because he may not have received a lot of good socialization experiences as a puppy in that critical window when those those skills are really developed. Um, so he's just doing anything and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Here, yeah. I'll spin in a circle. Here, I'll get down on the ground and I'll start to roll over on my shoulder and I'll make some noises and I'll whine or I'll scream. Um, you know, I'll just do anything and everything because I don't know what to do. Mm. And maybe one of these things will work. Yeah. And exactly like you said, and, and my border collie is, is very much like that as well. He's very respectful of other dogs as long as that respect is returned. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. second a dog breaches that social, uh, you know, those social rules, um, he's on them. Yeah. You know, saying, no, this is not how we as adult dogs act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, if you watch a lot of these really overly enthusiastic dogs, they're throwing a mix of uh, behaviors you would expect to see out of a puppy uh, with some adult stuff thrown in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it's, very, it's very confusing for the dog on the receiving end. Yes. And even more so if that dog on the receiving end has not been well socialized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, to me, it is every bit as dangerous to own an over-the-top, goofy, happy dog and yeah. allow them into situations, you know, with other dogs where it could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it is to own a dog that you know is reactive, that just for whatever reason does not want another dog in his in his space, whether that dog is being appropriate or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I always think of it as that that uh, kind of socially inept kid in high school <laughs> that stood a little too close to you when he was talking and talked about you know kind of odd topics and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you you wanted to get away from him. Um, and sometimes you weren't so nice in how you got away from him because he was so out of the norm and most, you know, kids don't know how to deal with that. It's the same way with the dogs. Most dogs don't know how to deal with, um, other dogs acting outside social norms. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it comes down to, even if we, you know, buy what is traditionally by or or rescue, what is, uh, traditionally uh, regarded as a, a friendly breed you know mm-hmm. or, or or a slightly um you know traditionally regarded as a harder breed or a guarding breed um it comes down to responsible ownership and you have to either you know teach a good recall or you go to somewhere safe where you know there's a field that you can let the dog off in that you know it's not going to bother somebody else or you use a long line but you take responsibility for your dog's actions don't you yes i mean that the buck stops on the human end of the leash. Yeah. yeah. And if there isn't a leash, <laughs> the buck stops with the lack of, you know, with the human for the lack of leash. Um, so much of the, of the problem behaviors that owners have with their dogs, so many situations that end poorly for dogs, it really does come down to bad owner decisions mm. or, uh, a lack of an educated owner decision. Yeah. Yeah. We want to think of our dogs in human terms. It's natural. We're people. We tend to think of 
the world in human terms. Um, so we want to think of our dogs as understanding things in human terms, but they're dogs. They see the world as a dog. And so what we see as friendly, we know our dog is friendly uh, or what we interpret as friendly. Um, we know that. So we think yelling, oh, my dog is friendly, somehow that is going to sink into the dog on the receiving end um, <laughs> and, and to the owner, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's going to make it all better mm. when the truth is, yes, we have a responsibility to our dogs. We chose to bring those dogs into our homes. We chose the dogs that we have. Mm. Mm. So we have to deal with all of what is encompassed in that dog, the yeah. instincts, you know, the, the basic canine behaviors, the breed instincts, that's all on us. Our dogs didn't pick us. Our dogs are dependent on us, and we have a responsibility to see the world more like a dog mm. instead of trying to make our dog see the world more as a human. Yeah. And yeah. I think once it, the, the people that are able to enjoy their dogs and have dogs that are pleasant in society or who understand, no, my dog isn't friendly, so I'm not going to put yeah. him in situations where it could go bad. Uh, or, no, my dog is a nerd, and I'm not going to let him kill another dog with kindness. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to keep him on a leash. Those are the owners that end up having a good canine companion in their home. Those dogs will usually stay in their homes. Um, you know, those are the folks that need to own dogs. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I, I love your books that you, your terrier training one and this one, the sporting one is we do need to understand, you know, the heritage of our dogs, what they were bred for originally. And to, you know, if you can understand the behavior you're seeing, first of all, you don't take it so personally, but you know, yeah. second of all, you can, you can help the dog, as you say, overcome or, you know, to some extent overcome its natural instincts. And your third point, that was just so it was like, yep, that definitely this was Buddy <laughs> because sporting dogs are oral dogs. And he, oh, he was a, to me, you know, interpreting it as, you know, I, you know, he's a Labrador. He's a, he's a nice dog. You know, he's coming to the house. Oh, my goodness. Why is he stealing things from the laundry basket? Why is mm -hmm. he picking up the TV remote? Why is he is he would even steal a tissue, you know, a, a Kleenex? If you mm -hmm. sort of, if it was on your lap, it's gone. It's gone. He's had it, and it was just like, why are you doing this to me? And and even yeah, and and even understanding that uh, that you know instinct in these breeds, it still can be a challenge to live with. I yeah. went through some, <laughs> I went through that with uh, uh, not so much the cocker spaniels, but um, I've had two curly coated retrievers. And it was it was the same thing. It was a little shock to the system. Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, he was. They were happy. They wanted something in their mouths. They were, uh, you know, excited. They wanted something in their mouths. They were conflicted. They wanted something in their mouths. Um, you know, to the point where uh, my husband competed with one in agility. And Shocker's favorite thing, favorite reward after a run, was to very gently take my husband's forearm in his mouth. Oh. and walk my husband out of the ring. <laughs> oh, and, nice. you know, it took some getting used to on my part because I'm yes. thinking, 
if my terrier ever <laughs> that you know that is a concern if a terrier tries to put your arm in his mouth um you know and and that's not necessarily appropriate for every retriever to do but we understood and he had very you know a very soft mouth and it just made him so happy He's like, I'm carrying my person out of the ring. We just had a really great time. So, you know, it's something that we chose to to allow him to do. Mm. But, yes, they are very oral dogs. If you think about it, even the breeds that weren't traditionally used primarily as a retrieving breed, like your setters, um, they still were used to retrieve. They still know how to use their mouths. Now, that's not saying that it doesn't require training um, to get a good, reliable retrieve with a sporting dog, but it is a heck of a lot easier in general Mm. to teach a sporting dog to carry objects in his mouth, to retrieve them, than it is, say, a herding dog. Um, They have a whole different set of instincts. So, um, but there's consequences to that in a lot of my sporting dog puppy owners, particularly first-time puppy owners, uh, spend a lot of time being irritated with the fact that their puppies always seem to want something in their mouths. Now, it's normal, you know, puppy teething. Puppies explore the world, you know, their nose, their mouths, as well as their eyes. Um, So a certain amount of that happens with all the breeds. And then when they're teething, all puppies tend to want something to chew on a little more to help those teeth come in but yeah retriever puppies and even as adults they tend to get more things in their mouths (laughs) than than others but again it's you know like you said if you understand why it doesn't make it any more acceptable but it does make it a little less frustrating, yes. perhaps a little yeah. less emotional. <laughs> yes. And then if you get that emotion, kind of put that emotion aside, understand that this is normal retriever behavior to want to pick up and carry things. Mm-hmm. Then you can say, okay, now what can I do? This is not acceptable in my home. How can I deal with it in a way that's going to be effective and humane Mm. and, you know, accomplish this training goal. How am I going to do that? And, you know, once you've kind of cleared your mind and and have your foundation with this is normal behavior that I need to alter, it does make it a little easier. And honestly, most of that is management. You know, I always kind of laugh if, you know, owners that will say, oh, hey, my, you know, my dog is is carrying off my shoes. Okay. Where were your shoes? That's the first thing, you know, that's yes. the, the, the first yeah. thing that I will ask them. Um, well, I kicked him off in the living room. Mm. Okay, where was your puppy? In the living room. <laughs> where were you? In the kitchen. Okay. Mm. Yes. <laughs> now let's, let's take a step back. I understand that's frustrating. I understand that, you know, there are going to be times when those things happen, but in general, perhaps kicking your shoes off in the foyer and closing the door, the puppy can't get to the shoes or alternatively keeping the puppy with you. And the shoes in the living room, puppies in the kitchen with you, puppy can't get the shoes Mm. because some of this does pass with time. It does. It does. Definitely. So management is a big part and a lot of people, our mindset again, we understand shoes are not to be chewed on. (laughs) Therefore, we expect 
you know, our dogs to understand shoes are not to be chewed on. Mm -hmm. Um, And we forget that they don't see that. They go, oh, this smells like my person. And if it's leather, it's even like real animal stuff. That's the perfect chewy for a a dog And and particularly a sporting dog. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, if your dog takes something like a shoe, you know, Buddy would take gloves. He would take the TV remote. He would take little dolls that Jenny was playing with. Mm -hmm. And he would, you know, run into another room or into the garden. And of course, initially, I would give chase or Anthony or Jenny would give chase. And then Mm -hmm. he's got a great reaction. Of course, you're shouting as well. So he's like, hey, (laughs) we're playing a game. This is great. Exactly. And I can remember the one day that I and he must have been, he wasn't a tiny puppy at all. He must have been sort of around the 10 months mark. And he was still taking things. And I just... In frustration, he ran out into the garden. I just shut the door and pulled the curtains <laughs> and thought, I've had enough. And I just calmed mm-hmm. down for sort of five minutes. And when I opened the curtains, the, the thing he'd taken, I can't even remember what it was, was abandoned on the lawn. And he was sat with his nose on the window going, oh, what happened there? And gradually, I mean, he amazes me now because he can have a dog toy. That's, there's a, we have a sofa that's for the dogs, you know, for the dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. And obviously some, some dog toys get on there. But if the TV remote or the, the Wii remote or whatever ends up on that sofa, it doesn't get bitten. And somehow, and they amaze me with this, but somehow they can't ask and differentiate between that's my thing, that's your thing that just happens to be in my space. And, oh, yeah, you know, that partly it's that we, you know, we, we did, as you say, put the time in and sort of we tried to ignore the naughty things and, you know, instill some sense. But it amazes me how well they can differentiate yeah and it a lot of it is us getting out of their way Mm. and allowing them to use the brain that they have it's not a human brain but it is an awesome brain and you know dogs are just amazing in that respect um that is one of the things that i've taught all of my dogs of, of all of the breeds that i have um you know i can say go find your toy yeah. And they do not come back with something that's not a dog toy, yeah. you know, and, and again, it's just repetition. And, you know, we have to remember every time we interact with our dog, every time our dog interacts with the environment, every time our dog interacts with another person or another dog, they are learning something. Yes. Yeah. They are learning what to do, what not to do, what works to get them what they want, what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so often we just don't even realize we are training them to do the very things that we then complain about. Yeah. So, yes, it is very normal to go, oh, my puppy's got my really expensive leather shoe. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to run and get that shoe out of my puppy's mouth. But, yes, exactly from the dog's point of view, you're engaging in a predatory chase game. Yeah. yeah. You're chasing, you're ha- you know, and your, your voice it's so hard for us to really get a good verbal correction Mm. because it's the whole package. It's not only our voice, it's our body language and everything. And when they're running away and just hearing us, Mm. we are basically barking with them. (laughs) You know, they, most dogs do not respond very well to just that verbal. Um, They just think it's part of the game. And so we're teaching them to pick up things for attention. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, that I talk about in the book and I give exercises. Um, uh, being an attorney, I, I use my quid pro quo, this for that yes. uh, is one of the games. So, 
you know, I do always say, if your dog's running with a, a bottle of pills or something truly dangerous, do what you need to do. Get the dog, get the thing out of its mouth. Yeah. But for other things, you know, teaching your dog to trade, yeah. whether it's trading what they have for a treat or for a toy or for something valuable. If you get to know your dog, know what really motivates your dog, you will have be able to pull things out that are as exciting or more exciting than what they have in their mouth. Yes, yeah. Um, and then, you know, oh, you have a shoe, but I have your favorite tennis ball. Yeah, absolutely. Can I have that shoe? <laughs> and usually the sight of the ball, you mm-hmm. know, the sight of a treat, the smell of a treat, um, if it's really meaningful to the dog, they're going to drop what's in their mouth. Yeah. And come and get the treat. Because not only are they getting something good that they want, they're also getting your attention. Yes. They're getting what they probably are seeking in part when they steal the object to begin with. So I encourage trade. And over time, and pairing that with a phrase, I, I tell my dogs, can I have that? Mm-hmm. I, you know, because that just comes out of my, can I have that? <laughs> what are you doing with that? Um, then that becomes a cue. And over time, my dogs, I don't have to have the treat in my hand or the toy in my hand. Mm. They understand when they hear that phrase, spitting out that object means they're going to get something even better from yeah. me. Yeah. And there is no chase. There is no emotion. I don't get upset. Um, although I, I do get occasionally upset at myself when my dog gets something <laughs> I really don't want him to have. Well, yeah. 99% of the time, it's because I was uh, forgetful or just face it, lazy, um, and didn't take the couple extra seconds to put that object where canine lips couldn't get on it in the first place. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we talk about that and then also um, actually teaching a no-force retrieve where you can go out and engage the dog because sometimes they'll pick that up and carry it just to satisfy that natural, innate need to carry things. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of, of uh, doggy binkies, um, you know, giving a, giving a retriever something to carry. Yeah. Uh, we used to do that with, uh, well, with my husband's retriever as well, hmm. um, because he didn't, he was not um, a happy-go-lucky dog. Curly coats are not hmm. uh, quite as happy-go-lucky, and they can have issues, particularly with other rude dogs. So when we would go to shows, We'd give Shocker um, a little bumper, um, and he just loved that. And as long as he had something in his mouth, he mm. could take a lot of stuff. He didn't care. Yeah. He'd walk right through a crowd of dogs and not blink twice mm-hmm. because he had something to do. Yeah. And something that felt good to him, something that was soothing to him. Yes. Yeah. And made sense to him so he could ignore things that didn't make sense to him. Mm. So we can, we can take these, these irritating habits and, and turn them around and then pairing that with good management, when, especially with the young dogs, try really hard to keep stuff up off the floor. Yeah. Um, you know, and then to know when it's potentially life-threatening and you just do what you need to do to get your hands on your dog and get the object out of his mouth. Yeah. But most yeah. of the time, that's not the case. And no. if we chase them, the other thing we risk is that they will end up gulping it. Yeah. Um, you know, just out of excitement or fear uh, and dogs can swallow some pretty large, bizarre items. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. you have that vet bill. So if nothing mm. else, the motivation of not having a large vet bill 
uh, is a pretty powerful tool for managing and, and then training our dogs yeah. to give us up items. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you say, if you put the work in in the early days, I mean, our, all our three now, you can go, what have you got? And they just go mm-hmm. and spit it on the floor. And then you can sort of either say, yes, you can have it or no, leave it. And then you can have a treat. But because right. they know they can either have it back or they can have something better, you know. Right. Absolutely. They go, well, that, that's what I've got. Can I keep it? <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> you can, you know, you can. If I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it just comes from being consistent in how you deal with your, your dogs. Training doesn't always have to be this big, elaborate uh, set up and, you know, all formal. Um, we just need to mm. remember we're teaching our dogs and yeah. they are very perceptive. Like you said, they, they notice things. Um, and they will very quickly adapt to most of our expectations if we're just consistent with what it is we expect of them and then the consequence because as much as we want to think our dogs, you know, live and die for us, unfortunately, Mm. (laughs) uh, that's not entirely true. They are pretty uh, selfish little creatures (laughs) when push comes to shove and, you know, they – there needs to be something in it for them. If we tell them, no, you can't have that, it works best if we then turn around and say, but yes, you can have this. Yeah, yeah. No, but you can't, can't have my shoe, but yes, you can have your toy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But by listening, you know, to an expert like you and picking up those tips, you know, it, it is great. And, you know, you never get then into a situation with your dog where it's a confrontation. If right from the start you've kind of gone, if you give me that, I can give you this, and it's a choice the dog's made, then as you say, mm-hmm. you can get to the situation where, gosh, he's got, you know, as you say, the, 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 the bottle of tablets or whatever it is that you suddenly need to get, and, yes. and that, you know, yes, you can. But in general, the dog doesn't have anything to fear, does he? No. It, yeah. If you just, and some of this comes from thinking about what do I want to have uh, in terms of, a dog's behavior that I'm willing to live with for 10, 15 years. When they are a puppy, people often wait until their dogs are teenagers or full grown to go, you know, I don't really like that my dog does this or that. Mm. Um, And it's just so much easier practice, you know, just ingrains behavior. So if you wait until your dog is two or three years old to decide you're tired of chasing them when they have something in their mouths, mm-hmm. you can teach them. You can certainly teach them. They will learn eventually not to, you know, to give you what they're carrying, but it's going to be harder because they have so much history practicing that. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you're starting with a blank slate, in essence, you know, an eight or 10 week old puppy, uh, they don't have the experiences of running away um, with items and stuff, so it's easier to teach them not to run away. Yeah, yeah. And if we put thought into what will I tolerate, just like jumping up, a lot of people will tolerate their puppies jumping up, and they will give them attention when they jump up, and that's not so bad when it's a tiny, mm. you know, relatively tiny <laughs> eight-week-old puppy. Mm. But now let's get that to be a 90-pound you know, 80, 90 pounds lab, which a lot of them run now, that's a lot of dog as an adult to be jumping up and greeting you. But the dog doesn't know any different. That's what you've allowed him to do since he was a puppy. So thinking through 
am I willing to live with this puppy behavior when my puppy is an adult? That will help kind of narrow in what is it that I really want to train and teach my dog to do or not to do. One of the points, the other points that you make, and I think this is sort of vital if you're thinking of taking on a, a sporting dog, is they like to be with their people, don't they? I mean, Buddy's... 11 now you know and he's just as as loving and wants just as much attention and he you know I've been lucky that I have been able to spend a lot of time at home with him but that's what they want they're not a dog to sort of they're not self-sufficient are they no and and again that goes back to you know these breeds were developed to work with a hunter uh you know with a person to Mm. accomplish a goal to do some work And although a lot of, particularly here in the U.S., um, you know, it was common to kennel the the hunting dogs, um, you know, and not give them a ton of interaction, but that's not saying that that was necessarily a healthy thing mentally for those dogs. In general, they want to be in proximity with people. They prefer to work with people to do something, even if that's just I'm going to lay here at your feet Mm. and, you know, in sleep. That's still being in that proximity with you. And unfortunately, uh, particularly with uh, the Labradors are the number one uh, pet breed, again, I believe this year for in the U.S., um, and golden retrievers, I think, are number three. You know, but people tend to think of goldens and labs as the family dog right mm. now. Mm. And so, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who just get a dog because that's what you do in a particular, you know, socioeconomic yeah. stratus. You you have a dog, a family mm. dog, so usually lab or golden, but they don't really want to do anything with them. Yeah. Or they have work and life schedules. That means that the dogs are isolated for long, long periods of time. And again, we as humans, we don't necessarily appreciate that. Mm. We know, okay, most of us have to go to work, you know, nine to five kind of job. And then if we have a couple of kids, a lot of times we get our children involved in activities after school. So then we go from work, we may stop at home, grab something to eat. And then we have soccer practice or, you know, we have a dance recital to go to. So this is just life. But mm-hmm. our dogs don't understand that. Yeah. They understand isolation from the rest of their pack members. And most dogs can cope with that. That's not saying that they, that that's necessarily ideal. Yeah. Um, but most dogs can adapt because we as humans, we can't stop our lives to live for our dogs. You know, there's got to be some give and take. But for some sporting dogs, for some dogs and for sporting dogs in particular, Mm. it can be more difficult for that isolation because they are, again, hardwired to want to be with and working with, active with their people. And so sometimes you'll see very destructive behaviors, again, oral, a lot of chewing behaviors in adult dogs that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be seeing at that point. Um, you know, separation anxiety can develop. There's a lot of things that can develop. And, you know, it's it's very important for people to really think about what is my lifestyle before they get a dog. There's no dog that really likes to be completely isolated. No. no. Um, But some breeds tolerate it better than others. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the sporting dogs in general, they just want to be. They want to be with their people. Mm. Mm. which if you want to be with them they're a fantastic lot <laughs> yeah i do like the, the sporting dogs um the the book sounds fantastic it's full of advice isn't it and sort of as you say how how people can you know overcome if there's a problem with the behavior and sort of advice about avoiding a problem in the first place and, and how to occupy the dogs it sounds really great thanks yeah <laughs> we go through the I talk a little bit about the history of, of sporting dog breeds and break it down into the major groups of, of sporting dogs because there, there are differences between retrievers and setters and pointers. And, uh, so I talk a little bit about that um, and then a little bit about how dogs actually learn. And then we go into dealing with the major issues that often cause us problems when we own sporting dogs. So, you know, they they tend to be distractible. You know, oh, there yes. is a leaf on the ground. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that goes again back to the hunting heritage. These dogs are expected to react to, for example, a bird being shot out of the sky. They're expected to mark and be able, you know, to notice these things. So, um, you know, they tend to be a little more distractible. Mm. And to they're interested in interacting. So, oh, there's another dog over there. I want to go say hi. Yeah. Uh, their oral habits, their high energy and their desire to be with people. Um, so we have both management techniques that I've included in there as well as training exercises. Um, you know, teaching uh, your dog to be useful around the house. Uh, one of the exercises I have in there is teaching your dog to carry an object. Because from the dog's point of view, he doesn't care what he's doing. You can give him an empty plastic sack <laughs> to carry in from the car. If he thinks he's helping you with groceries, mm. you know, you are giving him something. Yeah. And you're tapping into those instincts and he's working with you and he's using his mouth. And that's a calming effect on the dogs, yeah. too. You know, so I've, I have exercises like that for actual training, but I do talk a lot about management because a lot of our behavioral issues, they develop out of a lack of management and a lot of things, if you don't know how to train or you don't have the time to train, yeah, you can minimize or eliminate a lot of behavior issues simply by managing the dog. If your dog is a social nerd, do not allow your dog off leash around other dogs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, find some, like you said, find someplace else that's more isolated if you, if you have your dog off leash or let them run attached to a 50 foot long line. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, and just as long as they're not running full speed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't want to clothesline them or hurt them. But, you know, if you've got a dog that you can, you can slow up at least, then, you know, that gives you a better opportunity to, uh, stop your your dog from being inappropriate so it's a balance management uh, training but I also think it's very important and spent quite a bit of time talking about who these dogs really are why they are so that when you do approach training and management we can get rid of some of the inappropriate uh, emotion because that's draining on us it's draining on our dogs and it's counterproductive in the long run excellent advice as ever from Dawn from Birdbrained to Brilliant, Training the Sporting Dog to be a Great Companion is published by Dogwise Publishing and is out this month. You can find out more information at www.dogwise.com 
And to find out more about Dawn, visit www.bonafidedogacademy.com. And I'm looking forward to talking to her about her next book in due course. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. I take insults to my dog more personally than insults to myself. Unknown. Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. When Kathy Klein read about Baby, the dog that was rescued by a boat two miles offshore in Tampa Bay, she had no idea that she would end up giving the dog a new name and a new home. It's assumed Baby spent the night treading water in the bay before some fishermen scooped her out of the water and took her to dry land. Kathy was so touched by the story that she bought a dog bed, a blanket and some other bits and pieces and drove to the houseboat where Baby was being cared for to donate the items. However, Baby and Kathy hit it off so well that Kathy offered to take her home with her. Baby's owner hasn't come forward to claim her, so Baby now lives with Kathy and her two other dogs. And that new name? Grace, because according to Kathy, there but for the grace of God, she wouldn't be here. Well, it's still very early in the year, but already we have stories of dogs getting themselves into trouble. In Devon in the UK, Angie Collins put her £18,000, that's almost US dollars engagement ring on a table while she manicured her nails. When she looked for the ring later, she found it mangled on the floor and the large diamond had vanished. Angie and her husband searched every nook and cranny and were left with the suspicion that their dog must have swallowed it. After consulting a vet, they despaired of ever seeing the valuable stone again, as the advice was that a dog's stomach is so intricate that the diamond might not emerge. However, Angie set about the unpleasant business of searching through her dog's, well, business, and her third search came up trumps. On to a sweeter-smelling but very dangerous incident involving a Saluki greyhound, Cross, who was causing mayhem in Yorkshire in the UK. Zeus is only six months old and so can be forgiven for chewing up the odd household item. But when he chewed through a can of Lynx deodorant, he caused an explosion so intense it shattered the large double-glazed window, cracked the fireplace, broke floorboards and set the couch on fire. Firefighters believe the young dog must have bitten through the can near the boiler, which then came on, igniting the gas from the can and causing an explosion. Zeus's owners were out at the time of the explosion, and very fortunately neither Zeus himself nor any of the other three dogs and three cats in the house were injured. If you ever wonder what your dog is thinking, the No More Woof gadget could be of interest to you. The device has been produced by inventors in Europe and claims to be able to analyse dogs' brain waves and translate some of their thoughts into English. Researchers trained dogs to lie still in an fMRI machine and tried to identify brain activity to correspond with such simple phrases as I'm hungry or who is that person. It's still a work in progress, but developed by the design team at the Sweden-based Nordic Society for Invention and Discovery, the No More Woof is a lightweight headset sized for dogs with sensors that can record the electroencephalogram readings. If you want to find out more, or even make sure you didn't just hear a very early April Fool's joke, go to www.indiegogo.com forward slash projects forward slash no more wolf. 
While we may need help understanding what our dogs are saying, it seems our dogs instinctively understand us, and research from the University of Portsmouth suggests that dogs may have learned to take advantage of human weakness for childlike faces. The study, led by Dr. Bridget Waller, an expert in social communication, found that dogs who were best able to pull on the heartstrings of prospective owners were most likely to get new homes. Their technique was to raise their inner brows and make their eyes appear larger, like those of a baby. This may suggest that domestic dogs have evolved to capitalize on a natural human preference for childlike faces, and that childlike facial expressions in domestic dogs arose as a result of indirect selection by humans. And we finish this edition of the news with the unusual story of a dog who was allowed into an operating theatre while surgery was occurring. Seven-year-old Kaylin Kravzik has a rare illness called mastocytosis, which causes dangerous allergy-like symptoms such as hives, swelling, nausea and shortness of breath to occur without warning. Her pet terrier JJ is trained to detect oncoming attacks and on Wednesday when she was operated on at the Duke University Medical Center in North Carolina in the US, the fluffy pooch took on the role of an additional monitor for the doctors. JJ is trained to turn in circles to indicate a mild reaction and to bark for a more serious one. There were several causes of concern to doctors about the operation. For example, the anesthesia could have caused an allergic reaction in Kaylin, and so could a text dye used during the procedure. As well as signalling that there is something wrong, JJ can also go to a cabinet in the family's home and fetch a kit containing an EpiPen to counteract reactions. And her family say JJ has enabled Kaylin to live a normal life. Although during the surgery JJ turned in circles twice, the operation was successful and little Kaylin is doing well, thanks in no small part to her dog. And that's all from us on today's Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. I wish I enjoyed anything as much as my dog enjoys everything. Unknown. Sometimes you come across people whose attitude towards and love for their dogs is inspiring and you just want to share their story. Izzy Johnson is a very busy lady with three dogs and other animals who certainly goes the extra mile for her dogs. Here she is to tell you more about her pack. Um, I've got Teddy, who's a border collie. Um, I got him at 16 weeks and he's blind. Mm. I've got Lottie, who we've had... It'll be a year in March, and she was a rescue from Romania. Um, we, we got her through Love Underdogs, which are um, a, a rescue place that, you know, taking dogs from Romania when they've been rescued because they've got such problems over there. Mm. And then we've got another dog called Roly, who's a Finnish Lapland, and um, we got him from a, a... We adopted him, actually, from a breeder who was downsizing. Mm. Uh, Yes, I've never been able to afford the actual pedigree, you know, for price. <laughs> I've seen pictures on Facebook and he is, he is a gorgeous dog. I, he is, I do he's like lo- well, they're all lovely. Yeah. Yes, yeah, they are. Well, we'll come to Lottie in a bit, but yes, yeah, she, she's um, developed her own look, hasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but um, we're going to talk first of all about Teddy, because as you say, he's blind. And um, now, did you know when you, you took him on, has he always been blind? Yes, he was... Um, he was rescued in Ireland. I think he was he was probably born on a farm and turfed out, him and his brother. Hmm. And initially the rescue place thought his brother was blind and took him to the vets. And it turns out they both were. Oh. 
mm. him and his brother. Gosh. So he was advertised on Pups Needing Homes um, website, which was a charity I'd, I was already aware of. And uh, no, for no. me, I was, uh, I've always adopted older dogs. Mm. Um, had a dog when I was 18, and then once I got my own home, thought, well, I'll have the ones that I don't think anyone else wants. So if they were old and crocked and deaf and blind, it was always me that had them. Mm. And uh, never thought I'd get a puppy. And then, of course, we saw Teddy, and it said they were looking for a special home for him because he was blind, mm. and they wanted people with experience of, of blind dogs. And, of course, having had, having had um, older dogs, we've got quite a lot of experience of dogs going blind as opposed to being born yes. blind. yeah. And we'd um, worked out, you know, a few tricks of the trade over the years. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, husband saw Teddy's photo on the web, and, and that was it. I thought I'd be having to persuade him, you know, yes. <laughs> begging on my knees to say, can we take in this puppy? But it was actually his decision. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. We drove down to West Sussex and picked him up and brought him back at 16 weeks old. Oh, that's lovely. I mean, it, it, it seems, you know, an even bigger commitment any dog is a commitment but to yeah. take on a blind dog so how's that been is it more of a challenge than you know a dog with sight or how, how have you found it do you know in some ways it's harder and in some ways it's easier hmm. i think the first thing we did was i i wanted to read up on on dogs that had been born blind because i felt i knew you know the the, the elder hmm. the older um end of the spectrum so we had loads of books, did loads of research on the web, and then decided to kind of pick the bits I thought were right, because there's an awful lot of rubbish mm. out there. <laughs> yes, sadly. The, the first thing I was, or we were both, determined to do was not have a dog that felt dependent on us or any of the other dogs. I, I was so keen to instill independence, because I think, well, you know, people live perfectly good lives, being blind and with disabilities mm. and dogs are far more clever than us their senses are more keenly developed there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to yeah yeah absolutely um, and we, we'd heard all this stuff about you know always keep your house the same don't move anything around um, and it, it was just such a rigid way of life we decided we weren't going to do that yeah and he adapted really quickly so we'd move things around in the lounge hmm. and he'd come in and sort of stand there and it was like he was god knows how he was working it out but blind I've, I've observed you know quite a few blind dogs since and they do seem to know what they're doing oh. if they're if they're encouraged to to develop it and um he'll he'll walk around and map out a room yeah and we noticed sort of fairly on early on that he would do certain things and would seem to be learning yes so we thought, right, well, we'll attach, gradually attach words and things um, and commands so that he knows what he's doing and we can warn him as well. Yeah. So um, spent lots of time sitting out in the garden. We've got steps that go up into a second level in the garden. Mm. I spent a lot of time with little bouncy balls and my keys, dropping them on the steps so he could hear how far he'd got to step. Oh. And then attaching the word step down or step up and... He's just, we well, you know what border collies are like. Yeah, they just yeah. think it's tremendous fun, don't they? Yeah, oh yes, they love learning, don't they? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And he, you know, he picked it up really quickly. And we are, I guess, really lucky that he seems to be pretty fearless as well. I mean, he, he launched himself off the top of four steps the first day we got him. <laughs> oh, <bless. laughs> and 
my brother had to catch him mid-flight. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, we knew that he was going to be a pretty full-on dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we, we sort of, not consciously trained, but just gradually attached words to things. So it'd be, you know, come to the edge of the curb, cross means cross the road, step up, step down. I say find the path and he finds the path. It's just things that have happened through repetition and intention, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And as um, you say, that, the, the Border Collie brain does lend itself to picking up a lot of words. They oh, do understand, it don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they're amazing dogs. And he's got a very keen sense of smell and his hearing, obviously, is really good. Mm. Um, the only time we have slight problems is if we're in really open spaces and it's windy. Yes. And then I call him and he does this big circle which gradually decreases oh. until he finds me in the centre. It's amazing <laughs> to watch. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. So yeah. he, he obviously copes with sort of everyday life very well. Um, yeah. But you, then you took it one step further, didn't you? Because you've, you've even done agility with him. Yeah, well... I live in West Yorkshire and there are a hell of a lot of woods around here and you know, I've always taken the dogs for hours and hours in the woods and I'd find that, again, I let him off lead. He doesn't stay on the lead at all mm. and we spent a lot of time saying, oh, careful, and thump and uh, <laughs> go left, go right and all this sort of thing and he's actually really spatially aware anyway. I really don't know how they do it. No, no. But we'd come across little logs and styles and things like that and i I just suddenly in the back of my mind thought, I wonder if he could. And so I started tapping out the height of things hmm. and get, get, getting him to sort of sniff it and see how high it was. And then I'd jump over it and say, over. And if, I think it took 20 minutes hmm. for him to get that. And he's been doing that ever since. And he, he just adores doing it. He gets so excited. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And... Um, you know, from there, it was a natural progression to think, well, I wonder if I could find a trainer who you know, who has either got experience with blind dogs or is just, you know, very sensitive to that kind of thing. Yeah. And so the trainer was open to it as well? Oh, yeah, because by the time... Well, I took him to meet her. It was in my pet stock at the time, which is closed now in Leeds. Hmm. And uh, she had this trainer called Wendy Barrett, and she'd actually had blind dogs. She was telling me about this. They used to... Um, they, they had a blind stand. I think it was a standard poodle that used to do agility, but for fun, mm. they used to blindfold it to freak people out because <laughs> it couldn't see anyway and send it around this course. <laughs> <laughs> she, you, know, you know, I could tell from the start she was going to be really good fun. Yeah. And um, she sort of confirmed that I'd done the right things in trying to attach uh, directional commands and things like that and warnings and, you know, the stops and all the necessary things for emergencies. Yeah. So she said, well, well, we'll give it a go and see how we get on. And um, we've been doing it, gosh, it must be two or three years yeah. he's been doing it. We haven't done it competitively because I don't know how he'd get on with the noise in a ring, yeah. you know, with the audience and things like that. Yeah. Um, but we do it at, you know, fun dog shows and he goes every Friday night and does it for an hour with seven or eight other dogs. Mm. Uh, in this great big barn, <laughs> massive agility force with, with the same woman who's got her own business now. So that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So how does he, you know, for example, did you have to introduce, you know, the walkway, the high walkway with sort of a plank up to it and then a high walkway and a, and a plank yep. down again? That's a narrow 
um, area to step on. So did you have to sort of introduce that really carefully? Really carefully, yeah. He had a harness on and a, an agility tag, which is basically the handle of a lead without the lead bit. Yeah. So I had him very close to me, and uh, I taught him the word slow climb for going up hills and things so that he would know when there was a, a difference in, you know, the gradient. Yeah. So I uh, did slow climb gradually with the tree up the, the ramp of the dog walk. And I thought, you know, there's no way he's going to go across this beam. And lo and behold, <laughs> he did. He, he sort of, he went, he went to fall off a couple of times and we caught him and always put him back on at the start again. Yeah. But, you know, it's testament to him because he's so fearless. Yes. A lot of dogs would have been put off, but he was just like, no, I'll have another go. <laughs> oh, bless him. Excellent. So we gradually did that and the A-frame, which is the, the sort of inverted V where you have to mm. go up a very steep bit and down the other side he absolutely loved. Um, the, the the kind of challenging ones were tunnels. <laughs> yes, of course. Did he get halfway in and um, realise, you know, he was looking for a treat so he wouldn't come out the other end way or he'd turn around and go, come out the way he'd come in. <laughs> Good now, for him. Nowadays, I say, I, I have to shout, tunnel, tunnel, tunnel to him and I bang the top. Yeah. And he comes and finds it and I have to run really fast to get there before him. Mm because he has to have a treat at the end or he might not do it next time. Oh, yeah. So I guess you have got that, that slight extra challenge because obviously with, with a seeing dog, with a sighted dog, you would sort of, you know, when he came down from the A-frame, if you wanted him to do tunnel, you'd shout right into the tunnel or right tunnel, whatever your command was. That's mm -hmm. it, exactly. And he would see and, it. Whereas with Teddy, yeah. you have to be there before him, don't you? I do. And of course, with a lot of dogs in agility use hand signals, which I can't do any of. Yes. Um, and... It's, it's down to trust, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I taught him to do jumps by him trusting me to say forward, forward, over. And if my timing's wrong and he hits the jump, you know, it's my fault, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it really um, is. It, it's a huge amount of teamwork, isn't it? Well, if he didn't trust me, I mean, we've got a, a really good bond anyway because he's, he's such good fun. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a really good sense of humour. Oh, lovely. he's great fun. To, you know, people just love him. He's great fun to be around, full of beans. Yeah, and he, yeah. he's he's up for anything. You know, so yeah, he absolutely trusts me, and we'll do these uh, jumps that are sometimes set in a square. Yes, so go over over one, and then turn right and go over the next one, and then you know come back. So you might it's not just straightforward. Yeah. Forward, over, forward, over, and he's he's really got the hang of that really quickly as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it is incredible. I mean, I, I do think that the dog's sense of smell is so much greater than ours that it must compensate them in some way. You know, it's it's not quite the same as as a a human losing their sight, but even so, Definitely. I mean, it's a huge achievement for both of you. But it's funny because when I watch him, if he's going towards a tree, and you know, we all do this thing where we wince, thinking, "Oh, this isn't looking good." But he will just, it's like he, it, there's like a, a spatial awareness that you can't quite see the sense of because he, he veers around things at the last minute. Yeah. Even if I haven't told him go right or go left. Mm. Um, and, and I do, I think they must have, it's either scent or they, they can sense, I don't know, a change in the air or yeah. something. Yeah. But they, they definitely, they manage really well. Mm. Mm. I, I, I interviewed um, Stanley Corrin um, and one of the things he was saying about age-proofing your dog is mm. leave their whiskers long, you know, the whiskers on the, the nose, the muzzle. Leave them long. I can as imagine, actually, yeah. Yeah, they're very sensitive. So, obviously, they've got ways of picking things up. We 
haven't. Um, but yes, it, yeah. it is incredible how they manage. It is. It really is. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he's one of those. He's one of those dogs, you know, that's just happy to do whatever you ask of him. Pick things up really quickly. <laughs> like there's a new there's a new sport that the kennel club introduced called Rallyo. It's Rally yeah. obedience, mm. and we do that as well now. We've been doing that for probably five odd months. We're beginners still at the moment, mm. but um, I realised going there how bad I was in the in the actual obedience side of the training because I'd I'd gone all out to teach him independence and all that sort of thing, and uh, someone said to me. You've done such a thorough job of teaching him independence. He isn't actually listening to a word you say. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until we went to the agility ring that he listened. And the rest of the time, I, I, yeah, I noticed that they were absolutely right. He was just, you know, completely up on cloud nine half the time. Oh. So now we're doing we're doing things that involve sit stand sits and um, three hundred and sixty degree turns, all that sort of thing. It's it's based on obedience, but you have. Um, a number of regular stations, and there's a, a command that you have to do at each station, and you have to get ready. You start off with so many points, and for every mistake you make, you get booked a few points. Yeah, he seems to be really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. I like rally because it does seem something that anybody can do as long as you can make your dog sit. Definitely, you can do. You know, you can do one station at rally, and then work on something else, and you can start yeah. on lead, can't you? Yeah, it, yeah. It's absolutely brilliant, mm. and the fact that. It seems to be one of those sports that, so far, touch wood, they, they're not taking it too seriously. They're not formalising it too much. So, you know, you can go around with your dog on the lead as long as it's a fairly loose lead. Yeah. But mm. there's, a lot, there's a lot of leeway within the scoring from how it sounds. Um, and it's, it's based on, you know, the animals enjoying themselves, yeah. which they clearly yeah. do when you see them. Yeah. Oh, that's the whole point of doing it, for, for me, that it, it builds that bond and it, stimulates your dog's brain it's not just you know vegging out on the sofa at home and it's it's enjoyable that's the the key isn't it yeah and they absolutely love it you know you can go go to a rally or something for 45 minutes and I'll come back and he is more tired than he would have been if I'd have taken him out for a couple of hours yeah because it's just that brain work you know it really is a great stimulus isn't it oh definitely absolutely and there's the whole fact of you know, while someone else is going round the course in rally, you've got to wait. Mm-hmm. So you've got the whole thing about, well, you can practice, you know, settling your dog down and having it happy to lie amongst other dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that there's training you can do all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I can guess the answer to this, but if there's anybody listening who is thinking, you know, maybe has seen a dog in rescue who is blind. Yeah. Um should they hesitate or should you know what would you say to them it's no different to adopting a dog that that can see other than you've got to be a bit more organized and i i think it's a lot more fun because sometimes with him i think it's easier because we've picked up these commands and he's trusting me Mm. so i'm not getting that kind of challenge and defiance that you can get as some dogs you know grow out of, of puppyhood into adolescence um, I'm not saying he wasn't a challenge, he was, because he, he, he would run around the house nipping at my heels. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been, I think, you know, there are certain things that are probably easier. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose you don't say. get the visual distraction, do you? Don't get the visual distractions. And you've got, you know, they're, they're listening to you. Mm. It's much oh. nicer. Yeah. But, and, and equally, you know, 
older dogs that are going blind as well. That doesn't have to be a problem. People seem to to get up in arms about it, and it really, uh, you know, worrying about the dog's quality of life and all that sort of thing. They can have just as good a quality of life losing their sight as long as the owner guides them through the process, and it, it needn't be as as traumatic as everyone seems to think it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, and I would always, you know, if any, if anyone wanted to adopt a blind dog or they've got old dogs that were going blind and they were worried about what to do, I would happily offer help to anybody. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. Um, I'm I'm glad that Teddy's found you, um, <laughs> and I'm glad you've got him in your life because obviously it's a, it's a, you know it's a good fit. That's oh lovely. yeah, yeah. Um, but not not content with <laughs> with that. Um, you you adopted a third dog. You said Lottie, um, who you've had yeah. for sort of coming up. Well, about it's ten months, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so how did you see Lottie? Again, another rescue place I um, got involved with a charity um, that's sort of in the Midlands in Coventry Way mm. and uh, they were they, they'd heard about all the problems in Romania um, massive massive homeless problem with dogs and then of course the government um, introducing a culling law mm. and uh, people seemed to be taking it into their own hands and uh, there were reports of you know dogs on the street being killed by by people as well as the authorities and yeah. came to a bit of a head so lots of people started moving to, to help these animals and get them over here, get them out of the kill shelters in Romania and, and over here. So I'd been following the Love Underdog story which are on, on Facebook and on the web hmm. and um, they again, there was this, this dog that looked really pathetic <laughs> And it just so happened that I'd been unwell and was feeling quite pathetic at the same time. <laughs> and so I started following her story. And they, they brought her over, and she was called Madam Poofy at the time. It was hard to tell myself as much good, can it? <laughs> and uh, she, wouldn't, she was so traumatised, she'd closed down completely. Mm. So she wouldn't walk, she wasn't interested in anything. And obviously the charity was starting to bring her out of herself. Yeah. And uh, there was a a little um, photograph of her following um, the lady's son out of a stable. And I was saying, this is as far as she's ever got. Hmm. And I just thought, oh, she's absolutely lovely. And uh, then she got a foster home and they started doing brilliant work with her as well. And they put a video online saying, this is her taking a few steps and she's wagging her tail. And I thought, oh, she's lovely. And in the end, I ended up contacting Zara Moore, who's who's one of the people... um, who works for Love Underdogs and saying, you know, I just wonder whether she would fit in here. I know she's closed down and everything, but we've got a chaotic house, but it's kind of organised chaos. And I think, <laughs> you know, she could just come and sit in a corner and take her own time to come out of herself. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that, again, it was that whole, you know, we don't, we don't know. It's going to be quite difficult. And yeah. OK, we'll bring her up to meet you. So... <laughs> this woman drove up with the uh, with this bundle of fluff. <laughs> I'd seen this bundle of fluff on the internet and thought she was absolutely gorgeous. When she arrived here, she looked like a Jack Russell. She'd had everything shown yes. <laughs> and not not recognisable at all, Aww. and just this very sad little face. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she brought her in and said, "Oh, I don't know, don't know how she's going to be with you." And I've got a cat bed in the kitchen at the time, and I said, "Well." Come through into the lounge and then you know just leave her to her own devices and she can do whatever she wants. Yeah, yeah. 
And so she curled up in this cat bed and went to sleep. And oh. we were chatting and then this little face came round the corner and peered at me. So I just put a few treats on the floor and she gradually came over. Mm. And uh, I made friends with her during the course of the afternoon. And she never went back again. She stayed oh. with me from then on. <laughs> it it oh. took us took us 15, 15 16 days um, to get her to come out of the crate and walk properly. To begin with, we were feeding her in a crate, picking yeah. her up, putting her outside to go to the loo, picking her up, bringing her back in again. She wouldn't wouldn't walk, oh. wouldn't do anything. And she, if you you know went up and stroked her or anything, she would just flatten herself on the ground and shut her eyes. Oh. So you, we, you wonder what on earth, you know, what treatment she'd had before, don't you? Well, from what I was told, she was in um, a, a pen um, with 600 other dogs. So I think oh. she'd just, I don't think she'd necessarily been mistreated, but was mm. probably just completely overwhelmed and yes. couldn't hold her own. Yeah. Um, yeah. She only got about seven teeth in her head, so, oh. <laughs> you know, she wasn't going to compete very well, was she? No. Oh, but she's a little bit, she's supposed to be about 10 years old, hmm. so she's 10 this year, but I, I'd have guessed she was about five, because since this slow process of her coming out of herself, which we just left the dogs to do, Teddy and Rolly did it all for us. Yeah. Um, cajoled, she could see them playing, and she'd be shut down in their crate, and every time you'd look over, day by day, you'd see curiosity starting to win out. Oh, bless So there'd be a glint in the eye, or she'd be peeking around a corner. Mm. And then scurrying back and then gradually coming out and for food. Yeah. Gradually going in the kitchen for food and then asking to go out. And then took her for her first walk. And every time a car or anyone came past, flat on the floor, oh. completely shut down again. Mm. And then we just you know, put lots of stories on, the, on our Facebook page so people could follow the story. Yeah. And when we looked back, we thought, do you know, it's only been... Probably three, it was about three or four months before she was happily going out for walks. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing, That's amazing. how yeah, yeah, it's amazing how quickly they rehabilitate. Isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? They do live in the moment, and they will, you know, give people or, or situations, whatever, a, a second chance. They'll they'll give it a go. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think with with those sort of dogs, where they've got so overwhelmed that they've shut down, the worst thing you can do is try and turn them into lap dogs and cuddle them and yeah. overwhelm, you know, it's almost like you're going to kill them with love. Yeah, they need space, don't they? Absolutely, just space and time and, you know, not looking at them, not speaking yeah. to them. And then gradually, once the curiosity emerges, then you can start, you know, encouraging them a bit more. And it, it is, it's a real, I wouldn't, fun's probably the wrong word because she was in, you know, she wasn't happy to begin with, but it's an amazing thing to watch. Yeah. You know, that personality unfold, and it's still happening now. I mean, she's cheeky as anything now. <laughs> oh, it must be so rewarding, isn't it? Oh, it is. And, and, you know, she's probably one of the best um, rescue dogs for me out of yeah. all the ones I've had. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've had eight over the years, and I think she's, she's probably going to be one of my favourites. Yeah. And let's talk about... Yeah, let's talk about that coat, because as you said, I've, I've seen pictures of her sort of when she first arrived, and I thought she was going to turn out to be a Bichon, because she's... I know you did. Yeah, she's white, isn't she? And she, as you say, they'd, they'd sheared her off, which obviously yeah. was necessary. And I thought, oh, that coat's going to grow in like a Bichon, Bichon and it that. hasn't, it hasn't, has it? 
it's really weird because it is woolly like mm. a bichon. Um, and it's white, but she's got like a caramel colour on the top. Yeah. Almost like she's been in a house full of cigarette smoking. Oh. That sort of colour. <laughs> yeah, but it's almost... Um... Well, I mean, obviously, I've only seen photographs, but it sort of reminds me of um, the soft wheat and terrier. Yeah, that. And the other thing that she reminds me of is a Havanese. Yes, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. I mean, they never, you never see one, so they've been allowed to grow really long, do you, the, the fur? But um, it's, it's like um, ropey ringlets, almost. Yeah, yeah. It's very pretty. She's very glamorous. <laughs> She, yeah, she, she kind of knows it now, though. <laughs> <laughs> she has. She's, she works it, doesn't she? She's she like, really I'm cute does. and I know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she thinks she's a bit of a, a, bit of a model. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good for her. Do you know what? I, I, think, I think your dogs are very lucky to, to have you and to have found you. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. And, and it's just lovely to, to talk to someone who obviously gets so much enjoyment from making oh, their dogs yeah. happy. Yeah, I'd be lost without them, definitely. And it's one of those things that, you know, there aren't many people or um, things in life that you can say make you laugh every day. And, and this lot make me laugh every single day. My husband's actually making faces now because he's a comedian and I'm <laughs> supposed to say he makes me laugh every day. <laughs> he can't compete with the dogs. I've seen <laughs> no, absolutely him. Not. I've seen his act. <laughs> you tell him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They're really great fun. They're, they're challenging at times, but great yeah. fun. Now, are we talking about the dogs now or husbands? Oh, the dogs. Yeah, no, the husband's challenging too. But <laughs> in, in a different way. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, Izzy, thank you ever so much. You're welcome. Isn't she lovely? Like they say, you can't change the world, but you can change the world for one dog. And Izzy's making the world a wonderful place for her dogs. We have links to the Love Underdogs Rescue, where Izzy spotted Lottie. And we also have links to Blind Dog Rescue UK and the Blind Dogs site for those who want to find help for their own blind dog or investigate the possibility of adopting a blind dog. If you're uncomfortable around my dog, I am happy to lock you in another room when you come over. Unknown. The UK Heelwork to Music semi-finals were held recently and I heard the fantastic news that Sandra Hallam and her deaf dog, Henry, have qualified for the finals of the competition which will be held at Crufts. Now apparently this is a first for a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel and a first for a deaf dog. Sandra and Henry have been dancing together for a long while and in 2013 they were part of the Crufts Heelwork to Music demonstration team. You can hear our interview with them in episode 144. Good luck to them. We'll be there to cheer them on and to bring you the latest news and interesting stories from Crufts. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. Dot com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcastradio. That's all one word, dogcastradio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That 
that way we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What do you get if you cross a Labrador and a tortoise? A dog that will run to the shops to get your paper and bring back last week's paper.